When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Pentecost is a fantastic story. Near the start of Luke's second work, the Book of Acts, Pentecost really sets the scene for some of the amazing stories that are going to follow. But have you ever considered Pentecost and wondered, what's the point? After all, there are other dates in our Christian calendar that get a lot more coverage, they get a lot more attention. You can't move for events and celebrations in December, can you? Every man and his dog wants an opportunity to sit you down and to explain to you the reason for the season. Even Easter, although not as big a holiday in the UK, um, it stands out, it stands tall, it stands proud as the celebration at the heart of our faith. So much so that in effect, each and every week we celebrate Easter on a Sunday, don't we? But Pentecost... You'd be forgiven for neither knowing what it is or why indeed it's so important. It simply isn't on your radar, perhaps, like Ascension Day or Epiphany. We've got vague memories of those words being used in RE class, but no idea, and let's be honest, no interest in finding out more. That's a lot of people. Or perhaps, perhaps you do know about Pentecost. The passage that I just read is extremely familiar to you, but you're mm, still hesitant to engage with it. After all, ideas in the church about the Holy Spirit, his gifts at work and so on, they only serve to sow division, don't they? And surely Christ would have us united, so that means leaving some things, things like Pentecost and the gifts of the Spirit, to one side so that we can all get along. Let's stick to Christmas, let's stick to Easter, but let's put Pentecost out to pasture. But here's the thing. Pentecost really was a pivotal moment in human history. Something truly remarkable that continues to have an impact today, 2,000 years later. And we, we ignore its blessing, we ignore its encouragement, we ignore its challenge at our peril. If we just stop for 10 minutes to take a look, I'm certain we'll find something that A, we can all agree on and that we can all be united around, but something as well that we can celebrate. 
something that will help move us forward in our mission to know God, to know Jesus more, to make Jesus more known. So this morning, I want us briefly to look and to ask the question, what is the point of Pentecost? To genuinely ask, what is the point? Not in that frustrated fashion that we sometimes ask when something's too difficult, how oh, was the point in this? But to honestly say, why was Pentecost a thing? What was God looking to achieve by doing this? Why did Jesus himself think that this was such an important event? Why is it? Why is it something that Christians of all persuasions should be and have been celebrating for the last 2,000 years, that, that, that length down the line? Why? Why Pentecost? And to start answering that, I'm going to remind us of a phrase that we throw around in Amford quite a lot. A phrase that goes like this, if you take the text out of context, then all you're left with is a con. You take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. So what is the context of Pentecost? What is the, the context of that weird and wonderful story of flames settling on heads and languages being spoken that the people who were speaking them had never learnt? What's the context? Well, the context, it comes a little bit earlier, one page before, Acts chapter 1. And in it, Luke records Jesus saying this to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift, the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So there's a waiting, a command, an instruction to wait. And that's, that's what we find the disciples doing at the start of chapter 2, at the, the time of Pentecost. And we can discern that they're waiting for something which is a gift, something that Jesus has already spoken to them about. But pick it up in verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus elaborates. It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and yes, even to the ends of the earth. If we're looking for a context to the fantastic events of Pentecost, we needn't look any further than that. That is the context of those famous flames and edu uneducated people becoming multilingual. There's a gift being given and it's being given with a purpose and that purpose is a mission. It's obvious, isn't it? Because of this conversation that they're there waiting in the upper room, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the gift and the gift is this powerful Holy Spirit. Why? What's the point in Pentecost? Because the mission that Jesus has for his church is so, so huge. We can't even begin to conceive of doing any of what he's instructed us to do without him, can we? Those first disciples were instructed to go and to make disciples of all nations. But they were never instructed to go and do it on their own. The instruction was to go and to do it with, by the Holy Spirit, at work 
through them and with them and in them. Just for a moment, stop and think for that Acts 1 verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is not a small job. This is not when you or I say, oh, do you mind passing me the milk to someone in the house? Or, or, or pass me the remote? This isn't a small, achievable job. This is an almighty mission from an almighty God that's going to require an almighty spirit. The only way that we make any headway down that road is with God with us on it. Enter Pentecost. Enter Pentecost, because that is exactly what happens. What Jesus has been describing, what Jesus has been preparing them for in this conversation, and apparently earlier, is the Holy Spirit coming on the church and the results if you do not believe me are remarkable by the end of chapter 2 3,000 people have been added to a church of how big let's say that there were 300 believers which is more than there were but 300 believers to begin with that's a 1,000% increase in just one morning believe you me that is only by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit at work through and with and in his church. I'm trying to think of an illustration uh, of this for you. And I can't think of a better one than the, the, the man, the, the person who is at the, the forefront of this church, of this change, of Peter, who takes this opportunity on Pentecost to stand up and to preach. Who is Peter? He's the one, if you remember, who has denied Christ three times, even to a little servant girl. He's scared. He's frightened. In many respects, he's ashamed. His hope is lost. He's abandoned his faith. He's hardly the sort of one who, who you might see as capable of taking the, the hope and the promises of Jesus even to the ends of the earth, is he? But now... After Pentecost, during Pentecost, he's the one who is standing up. He's the one who is boldly declaring to a crowd, you are all guilty of Jesus' death. More than that, the, the change that continues to happen to him, if we skip forward into chapter 4, a little bit further down the line, and it's his first run-in with the law, the same law that had arrested, convicted, and killed his his rabbi, his Messiah, says this, chapter 4, When they saw the courage of Peter and of John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note because these men had been with Jesus. But since that they could see that the, the man who had been healed was standing there with them, that's why they'd been arrested, because in Jesus' name they'd healed someone, there was nothing really that the authorities could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem now sees and knows that they've performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. Let's stop this thing from spreading any further. Let's stop this thing going from Jerusalem to Judea and, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's warn them. 
not to speak anymore in his name, in Jesus' name. So they call Peter and John back in front of them and they command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And this is how Peter and John reply. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and of what we heard. Peter certainly was one who previously had been able to help himself, stop himself from speaking. When asked, do you know this Jesus who was on trial? He was at pains to suggest he, he wasn't. He really wanted to deny Jesus when the going got tough. And now that he himself is not in front of a servant girl, but is in front of those authorities that had Jesus killed, he says, do you know what? No longer. No longer can I deny him. No longer can I hold it in. Why? Because of Pentecost. Because power had come. Because the Holy Spirit was there to equip the church for the mission that Jesus has for us. In other words, Peter and John were saying, do what you will do, but no longer can we stay quiet. Without the Spirit, he's a, he's a whimpering, he's a frightened little man, but with the Spirit of God, he's bold, he's, he's unflappable. And so here's the first point of Pentecost. Why? What's the point? Clearly, it's to empower the church for the mission that Christ has given us. And it's that mission that we should have in mind, really. Not the, the, the fantastic, miraculous signs, but the mission that those signs serve. It's the, it's the mission that gives Pentecost ultimately its purpose, what gives the church its purpose. Why does the church even exist? Forget why celebrate Pentecost. Why does the church even exist? Why is it still here? What's the point? Why is it that when we're saved, we're not simply whisked off to the heavenly realms to be with Jesus? Paul said, didn't he, to be with Christ is far better than to remain here. And we experience life that's so often hard and disappointing and discouraging and painful and sad. So why even the church? Well, it's, it's the same context, it's, it's the same answer, because there's a mission, because there's, there's a purpose, there's a job to be done. Jesus has given that job to the church, and it's to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit hadn't come at Pentecost, then the gospel would never have left Jerusalem. Think about that. He would have stopped up right there with this sad, pathetic little group, this small few, and died off within a couple of decades. But that's not how the story goes. Like a match to a, to a thirsty, parched forest, setting a blaze that, 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 that spreads like wildfire, this small, insignificant group take the truth about Jesus to the furthest corners of the known world. Pentecost was the start of Pistol. Matthew 28, the Great Commission is the ready. Acts 1.8, what we've read this morning, is the steady. And Acts 2 is the bang! Go. Now is the time. And if, if you don't see it already, let me say it clearly. 
This all means that Pentecost is worth celebrating. It is worth marking annually. It is worth considering and rejoicing and thanking God for. It's because of Pentecost that our, our witness is worthwhile, that our labours are not in vain, that our existence as a church family that professes to desire to know Jesus more and to make Jesus more known, that that isn't a futile task or an empty profession. There is power and there is fruit to be found in the mission that we have from Christ. You know the word Pentecost, the, 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 the time of Pentecost, it was, it was already a thing before this event. Sometimes we can think this is Pentecost. No, Pentecost was already a thing. It was already um, an occasion in the Jewish calendar, one of their major festivals, one of their Sabbaths, if you like. Pentecost is literally 50 days after Passover. And it's got a few other names. Sometimes it's called the Festival of Weeks. Seven times seven is 49. The 50th day is the celebration. That's Pentecost after Passover. Or, and this is the one that really excites me. It's sometimes referred to as the Festival of the First Fruits. Celebrating and anticipating what is to come. This is what Pentecost is for us. It's the start of something, of something so much more. The very beginning of the harvest. And remember that Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. So some shy away from celebrating Pentecost because they fear division in the church. But it isn't divisive. It's not as if we have to decide our theology of spiritual gifts and the gifts of tongues and prophecies and things like that from Acts chapter 2. If we do, then we're, we're making an error, we're making a mistake. No, celebrating Pentecost should be a unifying thing. It should be a uniting thing because, because through the manifestation of the given Holy Spirit, we read, we read words like this, which are truly wonderful, aren't they? That the experience of those who, who, who saw and heard the Spirit fall and, and dwell in the church, this is what they said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them being a witness to Jesus. Isn't that so encouraging? Isn't that so worth celebrating? Why would we not want to celebrate that, to remember that, to lay claim to that as part of our heritage? Because the Spirit has come, everyone, gets a chance to hear of the mighty works of God. Everyone gets a chance to hear the gospel. Everyone gets a chance to hear and to know and respond to Jesus. So what is the point of Pentecost? Well, Jesus has a mission for his church and he's got a helper ready and willing to equip and to empower his church. It's the feast of the harvest, the first fruits. It's the start, it's the beginning of what was going to continue to happen for the next 2,000 years. Of, of, of the good news of Jesus going global. Because of Pentecost, Christians, the church, can be a witness as we're called to be everywhere. Isn't that an encouragement? Isn't that good news to us this morning? That what we think we're about isn't pointless. It's purposeful. 
It's powerful. That's why we celebrate, firstly and foremostly, Pentecost. But I think there's another element to Pentecost that I just want us to quickly hone in and remember before we, before we leave, is that with that encouragement comes to us a challenge. You know, I've been reflecting the last two weeks since Pentecost. Where we mentioned it vaguely when we were looking at the, the first half of Luke chapter 9, Jesus um, handing over power and authority to the apostles that, that they could go out and proclaim the good news and heal the sick and so on and so forth. I've been reflecting since then. Actually, all of what we're doing, um, um, uh, equipped by God, God, God gives us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And as I've reflected on that, I've been asking the question, what in my life, what in the life of the church, what in your life is going on that is only going on because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit? What are we doing? What are we about in which we are totally and utterly dependent on him? Where are we going? Who are we becoming? What ways are we changing and making Jesus known? That we have to have the Holy Spirit in order to do it. Is there anything that I can say? Is there anything that you can say that we can say together? Uh, that we can say about if it were not for the Holy Spirit at work amongst us? This would never be the case. It strikes me that unless... We are living in dependence on God by his Holy Spirit. Then we aren't really living as we're called to live by him. You think about that in terms of the, the mission given here to be a witness to the ends of the earth. You know, that was beyond them. And the fact that they, they went and they did it was evidence that yes, they were living in the power and dependence on God. The, the scope, the size, the magnitude of the mission of making Jesus known. It's the sort of thing you can say, yeah, do you know what? Unless I lean on, I trust in, I depend on the Holy Spirit, that's, that's never going to happen. What in our life are we saying without God? And without God, we're at a total loss. It's also true when it comes to, to knowing Jesus ourselves, becoming more like him. Haven't we got the sense as we've been making our way through Luke's gospel that the pattern for human living that Jesus instructs and illustrates is just so far beyond us that we cannot live like that. We cannot live like that if it were not for the Holy Spirit. If you don't agree with that assessment, take 30 minutes, go back, read Luke chapter 4 through to Luke chapter 8 and just see the sorts of things that Jesus instructs. Love your enemies. See the sort of things that Jesus models, having the time, the care, the affection for anyone and everyone who crosses his path. The pattern that we see, the, the, the kind of the picture we have of someone who is constantly willing to spend themselves to enrich those around them. We need the Holy Spirit for that. And so as I reflect and I ask the question, the question isn't so much what's the point in Pentecost, but how am I living such that I need Pentecost to be true? That I need the Spirit to be at work in me and through me and amongst us, God's people, God's family here in Hanford. The entire Christian life, our growth, our maturity, our witness 
It really, really is beyond us. So unless we are living in dependence, unless we are, are doing through his enabling and his equipping, then I can only surmise we're not heading in the direction that God is calling us to go. So I ask again, what in our lives are we doing that is in dependence of God through his Holy Spirit? That's the challenge. And that is a question only you can answer for yourself. It's a question only I can answer for myself, but it's a question that we can answer together for the life of our church. What's the point of Pentecost? Well, I think it encourages us and it challenges us. We're encouraged that where we are heading, we do not head off alone, that God is with us, God is equipping us. But it's a challenge because where we're supposed to be walking, we're only supposed to be able to get there with his help. So unless we are calling on his help day by day by day, we're not heading in the right direction. But the good news, Pentecost happened. The Spirit came, he has filled his church. He fills us as believers, even now. He works in us and through us and around us. 2,000 years later, we still need Pentecost just as much as they needed it then. And that's why if we ignore it, we forget it, we relegate it to a strange curiosity for a small subsection of the church, we do all those things at our peril. Pentecost is for all of us and it's for all of our lives.